Welcome to the Choose You Now podcast. I'm your host, Juliana Hever. Alexandra Paul is not only a respected actress who millions of us know from the iconic television series Baywatch, but what you may not know is that she's also an incredible athlete and an activist with a storied history. For instance, she was honored by the ACLU of Southern California as their 2005 Activist of the Year. The United Nations commended her for her work on human overpopulation. She's won the International Green Cross Award, and she's walked across America in the name of nuclear disarmament. Let's see, what else? Well, in no particular order, she's an electric car driver, a vegan. She's traveled to Nicaragua with a medical aid group, to Louisiana to help animals after Hurricane Katrina, to South Africa to register voters, and to Sierra Leone to promote family planning. This woman has been and continues to be busy changing the world. Listen to how this inspirational woman who wears a million amazing hats chooses herself. Alexandra Paul, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. So nice to talk to you. You have had such a hugely prolific and impressive career as an actress. I honestly, I don't think I've ever seen such a long list of credits as you have on your IMDb page. So congratulations on that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. But I have been an actress for 40 years, 40 years this year, actually. So, um, you know, it adds up. (laughs) Wow. Well, happy anniversary. That's extraordinary in Hollywood. That's very rare to be able to say that. But somehow with all of that, 40 years and this incredible list of credits, you somehow find the time to compete athletically, to co-host your wonderful podcast, Switch for Good with Dotsie, who we spoke to last week, and uh, to peacefully protest about things you are passionate about, especially the environment and animals and even so far as to being arrested and spending time in jail. And you, you know, you been successful at this long-term love story with your husband of over two decades, and you're even coaching people towards their health goals. So there's so much to talk about, but back to that IMDb, you have a really fun quote on there that I wanted to share. You say, um, I could finish an Ironman. I could take five days in jail for civil disobedience. I could shoot in the toughest conditions imaginable, but I cannot resist, I cannot seem to resist chocolate at 10 PM. <laughs> How do you do all of this? Well, I don't resist chocolate at 10 p.m., by the way. I just, if I want it, I eat it. <laughs> there you go. Um, <laughs> You're success. Um, well, you know, I'm really fortunate in that my career is one that where I don't work nine to five, five days a week. So if I'm on a series, then I'll work for five months or something. But um, out of the year, like Baywatch was five months out of the year, and then I had time to do other projects. And if I'm doing movies, which mostly my um, resume is, is uh, independent movies, then, then I still have time to do other things. And I also don't have children, which take up a lot of time also, obviously. Um, and it's, it's such an important job to raise a child, but my husband and I chose to be child-free. And so I just am really lucky to be able to have a job I love and also to pursue other pursuits because I think I chose not to have a family or um, a nine to five job. 
So interesting. In fact, let's just jump to that question. You do make quite the compelling, albeit provocative, argument for humans to lower the world population, something you're really passionate about by choosing to have smaller families or like you say, to be child free rather than childless. I love that. that I've heard you talk about that too. Can you talk a little bit about this? I, um, well, yes, I, I am an environmentalist and I also care deeply about people and animals. And when I was born, the world population was 3 billion and now it's 8 billion, the world population of humans. And I'm, I believe that all the environmental issues that we worry about would be greatly ameliorated if we had a smaller pop human population, including climate change. Because I really don't feel that we can uh, live, 10 billion of us can live on planet Earth and we can also lower the, num the amount of greenhouse gases that are being put into the air uh, to the level that we have to if we're going to survive. So my concern about population is actually for the survival of the human species, not even of the planet, because the planet will do just fine without humans. Um, and animals will too. I, I'm really concerned about the quality of life and the continuation of life for humans if we keep reproducing like we are. We're adding 1 billion people uh, every 12 years to the planet. And so I advocate for people to really think about having smaller families and the benefit of smaller families. One child is um, the number that I really want people to consider the, the benefits and in our society, because humans, humankind and actually every, every species is inculcated with the, um, the messaging to reproduce, um, you know, we've, that's been our messaging for so long. And now we have to look and start um, thinking more about our reproduction before we actually do it. It's fascinating. It is so deeply socialized. Like, when are you having children? You know, it's like always, it's it's just assumed. In fact, this is such a disruptive message, and it's but it makes so much sense. But you don't shy away from disruption. You know, you're passionate about the animals, and you're passionate about things that are probably there's resist. I mean, there is resistance in you know against veganism, and it's 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 challenging. We've all been there, but. Um, how do you, how, I mean, you've, you've been honored with awards by the ACLU, by the UN for all of this activism that you've done in so many crucial global issues that you clearly have stood strongly and peacefully for. Where does this courage and this passion come from? How have you managed to traverse all of this resistance? Oh, I appreciate you um, always mentioning that my, um, my activism is peaceful because that's really important to me. Um, thank you. I think I have a strong sense of identity with um, my activism. And so it, it has always been my purpose, my higher purpose. I mean, I love acting. It feeds my ego and it feeds, makes me happy, but it doesn't feed my soul like activism does. And um, I also, I think being a white woman has given me a lot of privilege I grew up in a middle-class family, I'm able-bodied, and I'm American. And that has given me so much privilege that I feel like I have to give back and that I have the ability to be an activist that's a little more uh, risk-taking because of my privilege. 
And so this, when did this all start? I mean, you started modeling first. Was that the beginning of your career? Like, um, just historically and chronologically, how, where did this all come in? Um, well, I became an activist at, when I was seven, um, when I wrote to President Nixon. Um, I was born in 63. So um, in 1970 or so, I wrote to President Nixon and asked him to stop pollution. And, and I got a letter back. And so I immediately felt empowered. Um, the, a few moments later, I realized that my sister, who'd also written the letter, got the exact same letter back. So we realized it was a form letter, but we felt like we'd been heard. And that was the beginning. And um, I was an environmentalist. I looked at the world from environmentalist eyes. And when I was um, applying to college, um, I wanted to be an environmental scientist. Um, but my college plans were thwarted when I um, started modeling at age 16 in New York City. And I took a year off before going to college. And that is when I was cast in my first um, acting job as a model. Um, they were looking for unknown models and they cast me in, in a TV movie um, that brought me to Hollywood. So what was that like? What was it like to start off your acting career? Oh, well, for one thing, going from modeling to acting was just a huge relief in terms of um, feeling a weight off my shoulders in terms of how you look. A lot of people think that Hollywood has such pressure on how you look, but modeling is the one that really has did back then a very cookie cutter um, idea of what was acceptable. And so when I came to Hollywood and you could play all these different roles, I felt liberated um, and not so much that I had to be just one way, especially in how I looked. Um, but it was really exciting. And I it changed the course of my life because as I said, I'd wanted to be an environmental scientist. But after I um, start in this first TV movie, I decided not to go to college and I remained in Hollywood. And, and, and there's my, my IMDB page grew and grew. <laughs> I love that you're so open about your age and the years. I think that's really interesting because there is, I mean, I came from a background too in Hollywood and dancing, not modeling. I did a little bit of modeling, but not like you, not even anything like even close. Like I was just dabbling in it when I was younger and there was so much, so much pressure. That's what started my career into nutrition and trying to figure out diet and healthy eating and body image and all that. And so it, the, the ageism, the body is, I don't know what the word is, like the um, prejudice against, you know, extra weight on the body and all that pressure. What was that like for you at the beginning and going from modeling to acting? Can you talk a little bit about that? I felt a lot of pressure as a model, and I also wasn't happy with how I looked, so that I put extra pressure on myself. It was the 80s. They expected you to be very thin, and um, my body type did conform to that in general. I mean, I'm a slender person, but I remember that they asked me to lose like five pounds or something, and I was... I was already bulimic, and it just made my bulimia worse. And it um, it it was really a, it was really tough. And I the thing, and one of the reasons I too became a coach is because when I was modeling and even acting, I thought everybody else was having an easy time of it, and I was the only one who was struggling. And I learned, especially on being on a show like Baywatch, which I starred on for five years, that everybody worries about their weight and that nobody 
no woman in America really gets away unscathed when it comes to how we look. And so as I got older, I got more comfortable with that. Like, wow, I'm not the only one and I'm not crazy. <laughs> and my body is works just fine. It's the standards that are really hard. Because I thought, why do I have all these cravings? Why am I, why am I unable to get down to this weight that they want me to? Um, why, why am I a bad girl for, you know, eating quote unquote badly and too much and everything? And then I realized, no, it's not me. It's it's our our society. Yes. So, but you did struggle with an eating disorder. Can you talk about how and when and and how you recovered from that? I um, became anorexic when I was uh, 15. Um, I had recovered from, a, from a, a, an illness where I'd lost 10 pounds in high school. I, and I had to have surgery. It was some, it was some a, a blockage in my bile duct when I was a kid. And back then in the 70s, they just they opened you up like completely. You didn't just have a little laparoscopy. So it was a big, it was a 12-hour procedure. It was a big deal. And I lost weight and after 10 pounds. And after I came out of this huge thing where, you know, it had been dangerous and I came back to to being healthy, I never wanted to go back to the person I was before because I felt like it was such a big thing in my life. And part of that was keeping my weight down um, and not going back to the same weight I was. And that, of course, because I equated now that I was healthy, I was also 10 pounds thinner. And that got obsessive. And I became more and more obsessed with food, wanting to be healthy so I'd never be sick again. And of course, uh, what happened was I kept losing weight, kept losing weight. And um, my parents intervened and said, you can't do this. And so I said, relieved in a way to be, to be quote unquote caught and told that I had to eat because I wanted to eat. Part of me wanted to eat, part of me didn't want to eat. Um, and I became bulimic because I couldn't control it. I wanted to eat so badly. So I binged and then I would throw up because I also want to conform to that girl that should only eat healthily, shouldn't eat very much, should be as small as possible, etc. And so there was this real tug of war in me for 12 years. It took me 12 years to get over my bulimia. And all the while I was in therapy, um, which helped me understand why, but it was when I went to the 12-step program for Overeaters Anonymous that I stopped throwing up, it, within a month actually. And then I did the 12 steps and for 10 years I called, sorry, wow. um, I called my sponsor for 10 years. And um, yeah, so it's now been uh, 31 years that I have been um, abstinent. It's a big deal. Yeah. Wow. Congratulations. It is a huge deal. Do you have any words of wisdom for people? I know a lot of people listening struggle with eating disordered from different perspectives. Do you have any words of wisdom to offer? You're not alone. And um, that it's really important that you seek help, whether it be therapy or as I did through um, Overeaters Anonymous, a 12 step program, or it could be going to a residential program. Um, but it's, and it's really important to, to, to tell people to share um, what you're going through. And I also want to say that my, I have an identical twin sister, and she, uh, she lost weight. 
during a time when my father died and she broke up with her girlfriend of 11 years. And she lost weight. And I said to her, Caroline, are you okay? Should I be worried about you? And she said, this is just an outer manifestation of my inner pain. And I think we need to focus on the inner pain when someone is struggling with food and not so much the, the how heavy somebody is or not heavy or what they're eating is to focus on the inner pain. I've heard you talk about that in the context of addiction as like in the eating disorder being like the poison that you pick, that we pick our poison according to our personality. And um, I'm curious, and you've, you also, I heard you say that um, the poison you pick in the beginning to solve the problem becomes the problem. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? I want to thank you for doing research. Uh, that, that touches me that you've done so much research. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think I picked um, food because I was a good girl, so I never did drugs um, or drank alcohol. Um, I was also athletic, so it just fit my personality because food is something that is socially obviously acceptable because we all need to eat it. Um, so I just abused it in a way that people couldn't, in a way that was socially acceptable because, you know, first I became thin, which is socially acceptable. And then I became bulimic, which basically you can hide um, your, your pain in a, in a very socially acceptable way when you're bulimic because nobody knows that you're going off and throwing up after you've eaten. Um, and so I think it's important that we understand that whether it's shopping, sex, working hard, eating disorder, gambling, it's all comes from this a pain inside each of us. And, the, and um, so it's important not to judge one over the other. Right. Oh my gosh. Seriously. That's, I love that. I love looking at it like that. I think it's a really interesting perspective. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you for being so open about all of this. Talk about your athletic career. I mean, you, you've done so many things. Tell us how that kind of evolved. And I know you were well, a junior lifeguard. Is that the case? And into swimming or how did that all start? Uh, yeah, I, I was a junior lifeguard. I grew up in the country and we didn't have television. My mom was very strict about that. So I read a lot or we went outside and played. And playing often meant sports when you grow up in the country. And so, and I had my twin sister that I mentioned, she was a super good athlete. And I was the one who was good in school. And so I wanted to be an athlete like her. I wanted to be like her. And um, I think if I was born a singleton, I wouldn't have been an athlete. But because she was so good, I, I strove to keep up with her. Um, and it became very important to me. I think, uh, especially when I was struggling with my eating disorder, I did use exercise as a way to mitigate my binging and also to help me feel better emotionally. And I still do that. I, I think as I work out regularly, I don't um, overwork out, but I do work out regularly and I six days a week. Um, I used to do seven and now I do six because I recognize that it's important that we all have rest. And, but I, and I also noticed that I was using it as a way as I was sort of addicted to it. Um, and so now I use it as a, a way to make me feel strong and also to lift my mood. I do think that I sometimes have a fear that if I don't work out that I'll, I'll get sad. And so I'm, I, you know, here I'm confessing that I, you know, I've, I cover up a little bit of, um, you know, uh, working out is like an armor sometimes is it makes mm -hmm. me feel good even if I don't feel good. <laughs> right. No, it 
clinically shown to do so. It's just the release of the hormones. It's so good for your mood and your body. And it's incredible. It's so important. So what are you competing now? Are you just working out just for all of those personal reasons? Where are you with that now? Yeah, I I haven't competed in a while. Uh, um, I did do um, triathlons and I married my husband as a triathlon coach. So we, it was an easy thing to incorporate into our life together. And then when I had knee surgery, I, I started swimming and started doing, I'm not fast, but I can go for long distances. I'm, I'm uh, persistent and disciplined. So I would do long distance swims up to 14 miles. And now I just work out for my health, my bones. I recognize that if I want to be healthy, uh, into my seventies and eighties and nineties. Um, and so I work out, um, just for that. Yeah. I really enjoy it. Often when friends ask, Oh, do you want to, you know, go to lunch or, um, go to dinner? I'll say, well, can we go for a hike? Because I, I enjoy, I find it better, more quality time when I'm actually just walking next to my friend. Yes. I love that. I'm trying to get all my friends to do that with me too. <laughs> that was such a great segue because I am a hopeless romantic. I'm always in awe of a good love story. Can you talk about your husband, Ian, and your little love story? I mean, it's, it's quite a beautiful, from what I've heard, and, I, and just what your secrets are to a sustainable relationship. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I am married to the most wonderful man. Uh, his name is Ian Murray, and we met 26, just over 26 years ago. And, and um, I didn't think I would ever get married. I, I, I didn't think I would be with someone, quote unquote, forever. I didn't believe in that. I figured I'd be a serial monogamist. And um, when I found Ian, he made my life bigger. And my fear had always been that being with one person uh, would make my life smaller. And he made my life bigger because one thing that we added when we got married to our marriage vows was that I promise to let you be you. And he really does let me be me and I allow him to be him. Um, so we understand that we don't own each other, that we are together because we want to be together. And that means that he can pursue his passions and I get to pursue mine, which is activism. And I've been, and veganism. And he is not vegan, um, and I accept him that way. Um, although I have to admit that there's only, there, there's only one thing I want to change about him, and then that is I would love him if he I would love it if he were vegan, hundred <laughs> percent. Like he goes vegan for my birthday, usually Aww. for three weeks, and we're vegan at home. Um, and that was him. He just stopped bringing things into the house, but. Um, yeah. So, but I also recognize that it took me 33 years to go from vegetarian to vegan. Mm -hmm. I became vegetarian at 14. So I have to allow him his own journey. Um, so yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. I am still in love with my husband, uh, truly, truly in love after all this time. And I didn't think, I didn't think that was a thing <laughs> and it is. And I want to say also that because we don't have children, because we've chosen just to be with each other, are it's much easier because we're we're always um, we don't have children can be very stressful on a marriage. Yeah, and so I I just want to acknowledge that that I, you know I got a leg up um, in, in that in that 
aspect. I, I, th- I definitely think our marriage would be more challenging if we'd had children. Probably because I'm too permissive, and he would have. He would have. You, if you look at how our cats are raised, <laughs> that's a bit stricter. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. You give me hope. Thank you for sharing that. I have to ask a Baywatch question. Um, of course. How big of a show is Baywatch? Where was the most unusual place you were recognized? Oh, um, oh God. Oh, I know. I was in. French Polynesia uh, a few months ago and masks, uh, I was still wearing a mask inside the, the, the stores and everything. And a woman behind the counter in Tahiti said, oh, you're from Baywatch. And I had my mask on and my, I, I couldn't believe it. And, um, she, and, and of course it's been almost 30 years since I've been off that show. So uh, yeah, that was that was the, one of the most recent um, ones. But uh, yeah, it's amazing how much uh, TV people watch, I guess. <laughs> but yeah. that show was very popular at the time. So even if you don't watch it, um, and if you're over over thirty five, uh, you know you know you know the cast probably. Yes, that's so fun. That is so much fun. Okay, so just to wrap up, I want to talk to you forever. But the question of the podcast is like choosing you now and taking care of you in this moment and doing what you can to be your best self for everyone else. And all I mean, all of the extraordinary things you're doing, Alexandra, it's beyond words. How do you right now at this time in your life choose yourself? Oh, um, well, I, uh, at night, um, before we go to bed, my, before we go to sleep, my husband and I ask each other, what are you grateful for? And, um, what was the best thing that you, what was the, um, something good that you did today? And the reason, um, we, we, we do ask that is we ask what you're grateful for because gratitude fills you with just makes you feel good. And it'll, it just, makes you feel good when you realize how many great things you have in your life. And then the, the, what did you do well today is something my husband instituted because he believes that I don't give myself enough credit. So I have to tell him every day, uh, something I did well. And we have, we always have a laugh and sometimes I automatically go to the, I did this, but, and he goes, uh, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. Just tell me what you did well, Alexandra. And um, so. (laughs) I love that. That's awesome. That's a great habit to get into because most of us forget gratitude so quickly and then we get caught up in all of the buts or the the worries and everything. So I love that as a great habit that I think that's a great suggestion. And I love that you do it together. That's See, that's where the love comes. I love that. <laughs> well, yeah, it's uh, it is nice to do it together, but you don't have to do it together. You can do it yourself too, um, because not all of us are destined to be paired off or to you know and or to be sleeping with someone uh, at night to do it before night. You can do it in the morning with friends. I actually have a friend who texts me every day um, things that he's grateful for, um, so that you could you don't have to do it our way. You can do it another way, but it is nice to express gratitude and to say it out loud. Yes. I also, I have my clients keep a gratitude journal and just kind of jot it down as much as possible. The more you think about it, the more present it is, the more you, it fills your life. Your clients are lucky to have you. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you so much for spending time with us today, Alexandra. Thank you for all your extraordinary 
contributions to this world. The world is such a great place because you are in it. And we are also grateful for you. Thank you so much, Deliana, for being such a great interviewer and for all that you do for people and for animals. Well, I thought I was busy, but now I'm incredibly inspired to do more in this world. I am so grateful to hear that all of that stuff is possible. And thank you to Alexandra for sharing all of her wisdom. If you are inspired and enjoy the Choose You Now podcast, become a member of our Patreon page. You could find out more about Alexandra's favorite foods, including, not to give it away, hummus. Visit us at patreon.com slash choose you now. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash choose you now to have access to all of this exclusive content. Please subscribe to the show, rate and review us on iTunes, and send us an email with questions and comments at chooseyounowpodcast at gmail.com. For nutrition services and more information, visit me at plantbaseddietitian.com. I invite you to choose yourself now, and I'm signing off with lots of leafy green love.